You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, yet again... My co-host, Paul Doroshenko. You always sound a little bit disappointed, but you're always asking me to Do you to want to know why? On. Yeah. Because every time, I want to call you my co-hostess with the mostest. I never like that. I, I know, and you, you made me promise not to call you it anymore, and every time, my brain says, say that, say it, I'm, say it, Kyla, say it. I know See you like happens. to be consistent with things. When you do your uh, cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada but didn't video Happy series, Monday. you <laughs> always start the same thing, same thing. And I know you like that, and I threw you when I, when I, you know, I guess, posed some opposition to how you introduced me, and uh, so... You're always sounding like you're a little disappointed, but I'm always happy to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, I just wish it was my co-hostess with the mostest. <laughs> okay, sure. You can go back to that if no, you like. No, no, no. Now you no. get disappointment. You made your choice. No, no. I don't choices wanna... have consequences. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Speaking of choices having consequences. Yeah. We should talk about what's been all over the news this week. Which is? Two major truck protests. Is there two? I only there know of the two. one. There were two. Yes, you only know of the one. But before we talk about the one, and all of our listeners know which one that one is, there was another trucking protest this week. A trucking protest? Yes. Goddamn trucking protest. Truck drivers in British Columbia drove a convoy mm-hmm. through some BC roads, I don't know where, to protest unsafe road conditions. Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. about that. Totally respectable, perfectly good truck protest. Okay. I can I can understand that. Well, I mean, it's a problem in BC. It's a problem that does not exist to the same extent in other parts of the country, and this has been recognized by the courts in BC, that uh, rocks fall from the hills. And hillsides fall down, and um, places wash out, and roads get rough. This sounds like an Alanis Morissette song. And it's, yeah, <laughs> and the roads get rough. And, the, um, the, and uh, you know, we, it's hard to put Isn't roads. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> it, it's hard to put roads in a lot of the spots that we have roads. For example, the, the valley going up to, um, to uh, Lillooet and Lytton, um, you know, up through around the area of Boston Bar, for example. Uh, th- those are, are all sorts of spots where you're running along the edge of a river valley and you've got a railway on both sides and yet you're trying to stuff a road in there. Yep. So, but that was their protest. Where did they drive? You don't know. I don't remember where they drove. The bigger concern was that people were seeing that protest and they were confusing that very good protest where these people are saying, this is our workplace and it's not safe for us with a very bad protest, where people, well, I mean, all protests Well, let's talk about the other protests. Pro- let's but... talk about the other protests. Well, the, yeah, but the problem is that this is potentially really quite a bad protest. This, so This could go uh, um, insurrection of the capital. 
Well, it's Canada that, version. That's not going to happen because the government of Canada is going, unlike the U.S. government, is going to be prepared for it. It also happens to be an empty building because they're planning this yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. So they're they're going to go protest at an empty building. Well, they'll occupy um, it and then they won't be able to come back on Monday. They don't. They're not. The House of Commons isn't sitting in there. I know. I know. Uh, anyway, I was um, joking. It is. Uh, it is fascinating, and I think we should talk about some of the things that the police could lawfully do along the way. Um, and I think they've got good reason to, because that some of the interviews uh, we've seen, uh, these people interviewed mentioning that they have weapons or that they have guns. There's been lots of talk about um, about doing something similar to what happened in January 6, 2021 in the U.S. Um, that didn't the, go well for well, those I know. people. Why they, would you they, be inspired by they that? They apparently haven't learned the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Most, so many of those people are getting prosecuted, and many more will go to and jail going yet. Going to jail, yeah. Um, the, um, I mean, it, it is fascinating just the, the, the mental process that these people go through or lack thereof. I, I mean, you still have to persuade yourself to do it. Um, and um, then, of course, there's a, a lot of people who are uh, basically the sovereign citizen types oh who don't recognize any form of government and are just alienated and, and angry. And they have been recognized as a potential terrorist threat in Canada, and CSIS monitors their activities, as does the RCMP. Um, so this is, uh, and, and, and this protest is, is, is set out as though it's a threat um, and this is uh, essentially the same characters who went to Ottawa for the, the Wexit uh, protest, the Yellow Vest guys. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot it's, about that. It's all the same. What was that? They're what the same people. Over? They're the same people. It's the same group. Um, and um, so I was thinking about things that they could reasonably do um, just to sort of uh, suss them out. Uh, I would imagine they probably have some undercover RCMP officers in that group already. Probably. Um, but um, those undercover RCMP officers are not going to blow their cover to rat out the guys who are impaired, for example. So, Ontario Provincial Police, here's some of the things that you might consider. You could pull some of these drivers over and just have a alcohol roadblock. So, here's the thing with that. And I see what you're saying. I see you saying, well, there's broad discretion under the Motor Vehicle and Highway Traffic Acts to stop people for sobriety, licensing, fitness, insurance, all of those purposes. I see that that's your point. The problem is there's a ton of case law, Paul, when those stops are ruses for police to get at other things. For example, in the drug trafficking context, they use the, I'm going to check to stop for a license, but really they're following a guy that they suspect is involved in dial-a-doping and they're doing it so that they can search his car or look for indicia of drug trafficking. Exactly. And this is obviously a ruse stop, so don't be advising on this podcast the police to do that because I don't think that they would succeed. What I would say is when you get into roadblocks, I think that that's better because if you set up a roadblock and you're looking at the roadblock, you're stopping every car that comes through, not just the convoy truckers who are being pulled over individually, but you're just doing a regular old sobriety check. I think you might, might get there, but I still think you would have a problem because on its face, it really does look like it's using that power in a way it wasn't intended to limit the right to protest. 
I, I knew you were going to go there and I knew that was exactly what you were going to say. And I agree with you. The ruse aspect is a, is something that keeps them from doing it. But, um, and this is a, a legitimate right to protest. And so that is the, the biggest concern when you are deciding to do enforcement like this. However, if you are doing a legitimate check for license, registration, insurance, you can do that. Um, and it is not unreasonable to do that when you have a large group of people driving from out of province. But they're all so, truckers, so you know that they're licensed. No, they're not. They're not. There's very few trucks in the truckers, so they're mostly pickup trucks. There's some semi-trailer trucks, but apparently it's just a lot of uh, individuals' vehicles from across the provinces. I think that then what they <clears throat> should be doing is driving police vehicles slowly past the convoy and using ALPR to look for unlicensed drivers. Well, I think they should do that too, and they should they should scrutinize the drivers as they would any other drivers. However, what about these ones where uh, there's been mention of weapons? There's been people interviewed who are in this group who have said, we are bringing weapons. Yeah, but you so might be bringing are, weapons for not a purpose dangerous to the public peace. But they're saying they're bringing weapons for the, I mean, this is the threat that they're making. We what are, are going saying? to Ottawa and we are bringing weapons. Okay. So you better watch out. Did they say you'd better watch out? Well, I think that's what's implied. No, I think that's maybe they're system. saying, we're going to Ottawa, we're driving from wherever the fuck we live all the way to Ottawa, which means we have to sleep in our cars, which means we're bringing weapons for our protection while we're sleeping in our you're cars. Not allowed to, you're not allowed to have a gun for protection. You're, you're not allowed, allowed to use, have a gun for a crop protection. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, the... Um, you can I, have a shotgun in your car. You're not allowed to drive around with a shotgun in your car. You are not. You and I took the firearms course, and you know that. You can you take it have. if you're going somewhere. No, that's a handgun. No, you can get on the SkyTrain, for example, with a rifle. So long as you've got a trigger lock on it and you're going somewhere with it, you can't just get on the SkyTrain right up and down the SkyTrain with a rifle. Of course, you and I know that if you get on the SkyTrain with a rifle, you got a fairly good chance of being taken down, tasered, and maybe shot. But uh, technically, you can lawfully do that. But you're not allowed to just transport a, a gun around in your vehicle um, unless you're going somewhere with the intention of using it or transporting it to a location where it is then going to be. You can transport your gun in your car if it is a non-restricted firearm. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there's limits to the transporting. You also have to not allow, you're no longer permitted to have it in view. Which is nobody's why there's saying no gun I, have it, I have it in view. And I think there's a potential problem there because they're saying that they are possessing it for the purposes of using it as a, um, a weapon, as a threat to the public. Where's However, Ian Runkle when we need him to settle this debate? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this one goes. Well, I mean, it's uh, uh, here's the thing about the law. Um, there was some discussion somewhere. I don't know if it was on Twitter or it was about one of your, uh, in the comments in one of your TikTok videos. Mm -hmm. uh, and people were saying, that's not the law. This is the law. And that's not the law. And this is the law. And you corrected somebody, a uh, police officer, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so much of it is, you know, when I think about it is it's not the law until a judge rules and then another judge is going to rule something different and then it goes to the court of appeal and our court of appeal will rule for the government and then two-thirds of the time when our court of appeal is appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada, it's overturned. So I don't, you know, what is the law? To quote Danny Elfman, what is the law? Um, no spill blood. That's the next line in the song. Okay. Um, 
yeah, so it will be interesting to see if the police in Ontario do anything about it. You don't want to be um, infringing a person's right to a lawful political protest, and certainly this has been framed, although they appear to have no um, defined ethos or um, capacity to um, explain their argument or what <laughs> what their particular concern is, aside from being anti-vaxxed. Um, which I, I actually understand as much as I'm opposed to it. I can understand that people could, could take that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, uh, it is a, so far framed as a political protest protected by the charter freedom of expression. Okay then. Well, I wanted to say that in response to you saying that it's, you know, it's a protest, but you can't, you can still violate the law because you're saying that you have weapons. I don't think that takes it from being a peaceful protest into an unpeaceful one. Just saying that you have something, which, by the way, there's no proof that these idiots even have weapons with them. Um, like, I mean, people run their mouths all the time. There's no proof they're idiots either, Kyla. Some of them could be They're really not smart. vaccinated and they're protesting. They are. There is proof they're idiots, and I'll tell you exactly why. <laughs> Their protest is that they can't go to the U.S. And come back and to come Canada. And come back to Canada. But of course they can come to Canada because they're Canadians. Without being <laughs> vaccinated, except for if they have to quarantine, um, and they're angry that if they came back into Canada unvaccinated that they would have to quarantine pursuant to the regulations. The problem is that they can't go to the U.S. because they are not vaccinated. Yes, So there is proof that they are, in fact, idiots. Well, the point is that this is not what their actual concern is. No, of course it's not. Um, And it's all white supremacy. And they're probably not truck drivers who drive to the U.S. No, they're not. Um, You look at them, they're not long-haul truck drivers because all the long-haul truck drivers are all vaccinated. They've been vaccinated for a long time. Yes. We were, they were giving vaccinations at the, at the border for a while. Yes. Um, And they all got vaccinated because they've been mm. dealing with all the bullshit and bearing a significant burden on their shoulders during the pandemic. Well, and they also have been crossing the border. Yes. And coming back into Canada and not quarantining. Yes. So the... Um, Although they're exempt as essential workers. From the quarantine? Yeah, I guess. Yes. But the, uh, regardless, the point is, we know that 90% of truck drivers are vaccinated, and most of these people do not appear to be truck drivers, especially when they're not necessarily driving Well, you don't have trucks. to be part of a group but, to protest. But, they've, you know, they've, there's a... I, I don't think you can assume that they're idiots just because they've come to the conclusion that uh, they are frightened of vaccines um, and uh, and frightened of vaccine mandates in any form. Yeah, I mean, but the I'm, mandate that they're specifically protesting doesn't apply to them. I know, but, you know, it's a protest against vaccine mandates. I'm I'm not with them at all. I'm I'm supportive. This is a circumstance where the majority gets to make the decision. The majority is the... Uh, elected representatives in this country who pass the laws and they can make those decisions. And I don't always agree with the decisions that the government makes. Uh, often I don't. And uh, certainly in various provincial governments, I'm really against it. I'm very upset about the provincial government imposing this um, $20 for freedom of information requests. Um, there's lots of things that, that I don't like. Uh, even if I support that particular government, you don't, you know, you get what you get. 
um, it's usually a uh, decision of, of what's worse. Okay. But point here is that it's a legitimate protest, and I will not just call them idiots. There are certainly idiots among them. Look, they can, they can protest all they want as long as they do it lawfully, um, but they can still be idiots. Well, because even idiots have the right to protest. Exactly. So, moving on to somebody who was uh, discussed on our podcast very briefly last week. We talked about, um, what did we talk about? Something related to distracted driving or dangerous driving. I don't even remember what it was that Doesn't matter. We've triggered talk, our we've conversation. We've talked talk about them a few times. We brought up. I brought up the case of the woman in... Victoria, who was convicted for dangerous driving after she ran over a kid in a school zone in a crosswalk while she was texting. Mm -hmm. And then randomly this week on January 25th, the BC Court of Appeal released the decision in her appeal of her conviction. So uh, I thought we would talk about that. And the what the standard for dangerous driving is starting to look like. It sure has changed over the course of my career. Sure has changed. So this is December 2017, morning, like quarter past eight in the morning. So school approaching time. A good time not to be texting is in a school zone. Don't be so in judgmental. In the morning. Um, the 11-year-old it's girl. It's dangerous. It's the type of thing somebody who is elected and then appointed as the number one lawyer in the province should not do. Sorry, go ahead. Now you've reminded me what it was, yes. 11-year-old girl, LB, on the southeast sidewalk of Ash Road and Torquay Drive in Saanich, and um, she goes to cross at the crosswalk. The crosswalk is marked. The crosswalk has big X's leading up to it, painted on the road. The crosswalk has signs. There are school zone signs. She looks both ways before crossing, and vehicles are stopped, so she starts to cross. And Miss Nykirk does not stop, and she runs over this kid full yeah. speed. Very sad. Kid goes, she's um, seriously injured, like life-altering injuries. And the judge convicted her because he found that she was engaged in dangerous driving by driving in a marked departure from the standard of a reasonably prudent driver by closely tailgating a vehicle, passing two vehicles, which were driving at the 50 kilometer an hour speed limit together in one pass at a high speed of approximately 95 to 100 kilometers an hour, even though there was room to pass each vehicle at one at a time. And while she's doing this, exchanging 23 text messages on her phone between 8 a.m. and 50 seconds and 8.12 and 39 seconds and 8.12 and 57 seconds and then just after the incident, 8.16 and 15 seconds, she received her last text message and she drove 80 kilometers an hour past a bus that was traveling in the opposite direction, uh, approximately 268 meters before the western edge of the crosswalk. Which part I don't actually understand because I don't understand if the bus is going in the opposite direction. How, who cares how fast you're going in relation to it? But whatever. So I assume that's an observation of the bus driver. Uh, I think it was calculated by the like accident reconstruction team. Oh, okay. You yeah. might have had some video or something from the bus. Yeah. So... She's charged with dangerous driving, 
and the um, the court of appeal considers her appeal, um, and she appeals basically by saying, first of all, there were insufficient reasons because there were some inconsistencies in the evidence um, about uh, about what actually happened at the point of impact. Secondly, the judge should have preferred one aspect of the expert evidence going to the question of her speed over another and failed to address competing expert evidence and about her uh, amount of reaction time and erred in concluding that she was manually texting because, of course, you could be dictating your messages using your voice. Then you wouldn't be as distracted. I don't think there's any evidence in the phone that you can say person was manually texting in that circumstance. The court basically says it doesn't fucking matter. Their entire reason for throwing out her appeal is that none of them were none of these issues were material to the trial judge's findings because he concluded that there were and this is important for our discussion sufficient visual cues approaching the intersection that a reasonably prudent driver would have slowed down in advance of the intersection now what does that remind you of i don't know humboldt oh yeah 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 i guess that's the same, the same thing. thing yeah the same thing so now no, you know, so that's talked, our new that's our new standard, I guess, for dangerous driving. Sufficient visual if cues. Not, if you didn't see the sufficient visual cues and you have an accident, that's dangerous driving. Apparently, like it's a little frightening. It is frightening. Like we but talked, we were not happy about the Humboldt decision. Mm-hmm. It hard, hardly made sense to us, but he pled guilty. Yes, but she went through a lengthy analysis of why it was dangerous driving, even though he pled guilty. Yeah. Um, the you know, but when we talked. The last time the Supreme Court of Canada considered dangerous driving um, was the Chung case from the Supreme Court of Canada. And we talked about that on the podcast. And I expressed to you my concerns that the standard for dangerous driving, which, you know, first of all, is a, a weird, watery world of not having an actual mens rea component, but having a mens rea component, where the mens rea and the actus reas are fe- effectively the same thing. And they were watering it down such that the commission of a Motor Vehicle Act offense could, in many circumstances, ultimately amount to a dangerous dri- enough evidence to support dangerous driving conviction. And this case, I think this commentary from the Court of Appeal further confirms that. Well, there's the, the uh, cases that back from the late 90s and, uh, and the early 2000s where... Um, people ran a red light in circumstances where they should have stopped, and it was the court said, "No, this isn't just a red light ticket. This is basically the same thing. It's dangerous driving. The purpose of a red light is to stop traffic from going one direction, permit traffic from going the other direction, and and if you're not paying attention to the light or you disregard the light, and it leads to a collision, it's a marked departure from from uh, the the standard of an ordinary driver." Um, so we saw that, but now, of course, we've seen these two new steps. We've now seen speeding, which for a long time, I mean, I know back in the 60s and 70s, there was some cases of speeding that were considered dangerous driving. Um, then for a long time, it was really speeding was a speeding ticket, mm-hmm. and dangerous driving was something else, usually crossing a double solid line in circumstances where there's traffic coming from the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, now it's, of course, 
we've got it, uh, and, and, and we had to reasonably anticipate this. Using a cell phone, driving like a jerk, not paying attention when it is reasonably well signed. No, but it's, it's, it's literally the, the failure to heed sufficient visual cues. Do you know what traffic offense that is? That's disobey traffic sign or disobey traffic control device. Disobey traffic control device is one thing. Disobey traffic control device causing an accident where somebody is injured is not living up to the standard of the reasonably cautious You are driver. doing the... This is, this, is, this is the problem with these dangerous driving causing bodily harm or impaired driving causing bodily harm offenses is that people seem... And judges, Crown Council... You now, I'm not saying you, I, I buy it. I'm just you, running the argument. People are people conflate the consequences of the behavior with the moral culpability for it, and I think that that is an error. I think you know. I obviously I am a human being too, and I have to be objective about these cases. And so, whatever happens is what's happened. Well, you remember the but, case with the with the uh, nurse who went and passed in the yeah. right-hand turning lane and then caused the accident, I think, did it kill two people, I think? Yeah. And the trial was in New Westminster, and the trial judge basically took the argument position that you're taking, and they went to the Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal took the position I just took. No, the Court of Appeal didn't say that. The Court of Appeal didn't say you analyze it based on the consequences of the actions. No, but they they said that the, the consequence of the driving that causing the accident... Um, can give insight into the into the driving itself and whether or not it was fundamentally dangerous. You're looking up the case now. I, I am looking up the case. You can hear me phone. typing. I'm typing because I'm looking up this case because I want to tell you why the Court of Appeal decided what they did. Of course, I can't remember the name of the poor woman to look but it up. But in the trial decision, the judge said, look, everybody needs to understand that we separate the consequences from the driving and we look at the driving in isolation we may consider the consequences in some regard, but we look at the driving first in isolation. And the Court of Appeal overturned that decision, and that was the essential thing that they took issue with, which I understood was the state of the law, and obviously the judge who rendered that decision understood was the state of the law, and we've moved away from that. And the Humboldt decision is a clear example of it, as is this decision. What's it called? Have you found it? Yes, it is the case of Hasinovich. And no, that's not what the Court of Appeal decided. Um, the, the Court of Appeal, um, the Court of Appeal rendered their judgment on not on the basis of that, but on the basis of like the objective dangerousness of her driving. She says, at paragraph thirty-eight. In my view, when the judge expressed her conclusion that these about these three acts considered together. She was referring to the totality of the respondent's driving, including her failure to see the signs and red lights. As the judge found that the respondent became overwhelmed and started to cry, and at the point she moved her car into the right lane, I take the judge to have concluded that her failure to see these things was part of the respondent's momentary error and did not represent a marked departure from the standard of care of that that a reasonable person would have observed in the respondent's circumstances. The Court of Appeal upheld the acquittal. She lost at the Supreme Court of Canada. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Maybe it was the Supreme Court of Canada decision. I'm not going there. Yeah. Point is the... Yeah. The, uh, well, uh, I refuse the, the, to concede the, that the consequences of your actions can dictate the level of moral culpability you have for them because we also know, and if we start to engage in that type of analysis with driving, Paul, we also know that we have people who are charged with driving without due care and attention 
in circumstances where there is a death. And if that's the case, well, then fuck it. Charge them all with dangerous driving causing death. They well, did something wrong. Well, think about that. Somebody's dead. Think about that. Think about the different sentences for driving without due care and attention when there's a death. I mean, I cannot, in my mind, justify that guy, that one case where the guy looks down and turns his radio knob. He ends up convicted of driving without due care and attention. And they had to argue over what was an appropriate sentence. I don't think he ended up with the lengthy driving prohibition that they sought. But the one in uh, Alberta where the truck driver is removing the straps or, or repairing the straps on his trailer and the guy goes driving by, I think he ended up with a one-year driving prohibition for the truck driver that died. And that was just driving without due care and attention. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at the consequences considering the punishment, um, certainly. Yeah, see, I, and, and I, I also don't agree with that because I think the punishment needs to fit the crime, not the consequences of the crime. Yeah, well, the, the public in in yeah, uh, Canada well, would, would, would have, would have all of these people me. flogged and jailed for life. Yeah, exactly. Um, until it's their turn. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, well, let's talk about something happier. Another instance, perhaps, of dangerous driving uh, is our... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week! Ridiculous driver of the week. Hong Kong. Yes. That's a good one. This one is great. Do you want to tell us about it, Paul? Well, it was the Abbotsford police um, pulled over someone who was apparently driving, uh, I think, 200 kilometers an hour. It looked like it was a Mazda 3. Apparently, it was the uh, uh, young fellow driving his mother's car. And they, <laughs> describe, they describe it as the engine blowing. You can see a uh, during picture the course of it, of it. if you uh, Google it. I don't know. I'm just this is uh, this is I'm going on the base of memory. If you've got if you're reading a story there, you're gonna have more detail than yes, I do. Yes, this, um, this came from Twitter when Abbotsford police posted on Twitter this weekend, and I think like a hundred people tagged me in it because they know this is what I love. Twenty year old kid driving his mom's car. He has an N, and uh, he was going down Highway One near Sumas at. 200 kilometers an hour. 200! Highway 1 has a speed limit of 100 in that area. 200! Double the speed limit. 240 in the morning. What gets me is the, <clears throat> the Mazda. I mean, that's a, just such a dangerous little car. It was a Mazda 3, like an 18-year-old Mazda 3. Mm -hmm. um, and um, at those speeds... The police saying that the engine blew is going ridiculous. So fast. The engine um, blew up. The, uh, <laughs> it just shows that, that it's smoking while it's idling. Well, who knows? Um, I'm sure, you know, maybe a mechanic can just do a quick repair. It might just be a radiator problem. Might be the, uh, the police tasered the radiator. I don't know. Mm. Um, the, uh, but to say that the engine blew is uh, kind of ridiculous. But he but. was going 200 kilometers an hour. So fast that something happened to his car that was not good. And yet, did he get charged with dangerous driving? Even though, even I will concede that is a marked departure from a reasonable person. Nope. He probably got an excessive speeding ticket. And as an end driver, he's going to lose his license for six months when the superintendent gets it. He got excessive speed. <clears throat> and driving without consideration and failing to display his N. But, Paul, 
Do you see the problem? Yes, I do. Do you want to explain it? You can't be charged for the excessive speed and the driving without consideration if the excessive speeding was the driving without consideration. Yep, the so... same delict cannot <clears throat> form the basis of two convictions. Basically, like, you, you killed somebody, you killed one person, you can't be convicted of first and second degree murder for killing one person. Or you drank until the point of impairment and also you were over 80 and then you drove, but you can't be convicted for both. You can only be convicted for one. Yep. So um, the uh, he's got a defense there and he should uh, give us a call, as ridiculous as he is. Yeah, well, I thought also, it was cute. I'm glad nobody was injured. He's also going to get, inevitably, as you and I both know, a high-risk driving incident report filed against him with the superintendent of motor vehicles, who will then turn around and probably take his license, I suspect. 12 to 18 months. Yeah, probably 12 months. Yeah. Well, I had um, someone who got 12 months because they submitted a high-risk driving incident report for her impaired driving charge. Yeah. Which is some Really bullshit. wrong. Really wrong. <laughs> so, Very wrong. Something that is a problem. But police officers don't always come up with the uh, best solutions, and sometimes they're really wrong in the law, as we know, following your TikTok account. Yes. Um, speaking of police officers, uh, there's our celebrated uh, uh, police officer who is now retired. Yes. Our favorite source for ridiculous drivers of the week. And um, and the one news source that CTV could rely on when they were being lazy. Yep. Uh, somebody got a speeding ticket. Oh, hey, look. Um, Sergeant Christensen of the yeah. Vancouver Police has posted on Twitter that somebody was going 30 kilometers over the speed limit this will be a news story hey man and vancouver is awesome and ctv well some of them were great yeah but you know the last one was uh was nothing of uh of any consequence and they still be it still became a story and it became a story because people were following his twitter account and yep. um the uh and you know for good reason he wasn't uh he wasn't just tweeting willy-nilly the things that he tweeted were usually quite entertaining um the uh, speeds that people were being uh, stopped at. Of course, all of those people are innocent until proven guilty, and uh, I would encourage them to dispute their tickets. But yes, he retired. He announced his retirement this Goodbye, week Sergeant on Christensen. Twitter. And uh, I was happy for him and sad at the same time. I was sad that they'd shut down traffic court and I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. That is too bad, but um, he, um, he, I think he liked the tweet where I said that you were his, uh, likely his favorite he, lawyer. He did like that tweet. Now, is that an admission? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if only I could cross-examine him one more time. <laughs> well, I don't think there'll be many times that he appears in court from this point forward. I think he is, uh, uh, it was his last day at work, but I think he had some vacation. So I think he's technically still a member of the... <laughs> Vancouver police he's probably got two weeks of vacation or a month of vacation to use up while he still collects a salary yeah but after he's out that living his best life after that he gets a well-earned pension he was a police officer in Vancouver for 35 years wow he could have been the chief of police if he wanted he could have you know pushed to go that route he but was, how uh, would he be able to stop all those drivers if he was dealing well, with the bullshit look, he had all sorts of different jobs over the years he was in forensics he was uh, he was a detective he had all sorts of jobs in the police force he wasn't just in traffic but i will tell you 
uh, I got the sense that uh, the thing that he enjoyed the most is traffic. And it's funny because, you know, you always hear of these young police officers when they're four or five years in, they're thinking to themselves, the last thing I want to do is traffic. You know, we need lots of general duty police officers. That's necessary because there's lots of things. We need lots of traffic police officers because, you know, that's a major job for the police. Um, so there isn't really room for everybody to become a detective. And I would say, take your time in traffic and enjoy it. And say hi to me when you do and listen to the Driving Law Podcast. And if you need to get in, to in touch with us <laughs> to talk to us about a driving law-related issue or yell at Paul about firearms, <laughs> don't yell at me, just yell at Paul, uh, then you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Driving Law.